broadcasting from across the North American continent of the Terran Empire, bringing you our unpopular Star Trek opinions since 2020. This is Code 47. And we are back again. Code 47 podcast on the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. An interesting evening full of some uh, hijinks that we're not going to discuss nope. uh, related to technology. But we're here now, and that's all that matters. I am Charlie Carden, uh, captain of the USS Grand Petoskey, a chapter of the Starfleet Star Trek International Fan Club here in West Michigan, joined by my cohort, crewman number, are we up to number nine? Number nine. Number nine, crewman number nine, Peter Stein. Peter, good evening. Good evening, Captain. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Well, my goodness. Well, you know, we're not going to waste any time at all. Uh, in the Under the one-minute mark, we're just going to jump right into the show <laughs> without a lot of hullabaloo. But I decided to steal something from SFU Prime. Uh, and th- this may not work every week, um, but back in the 80s, when VHS tapes were being cranked out either on you know, the regular market or you get them from Columbia House or whatever, uh, they, had, they would put one tape on one VHS um, and they would number them. So I managed to find one numbered 60, which is, of course, the number of this episode that we're on right now, from the original series, from the much horror, the, the much horror generated by season three of TOS, which we've not gotten to uh, in this yeah. program. Actually, today we'll be talking about part two of four of the second season. Uh, but in season three, early in season three, we had the episode, And the Children Shall Lead. Peter, do you know this episode? Not a great episode. <laughs> Not a great episode. Well, no. it, I mean, you basically had what looked like, you know, uh, an old guy in a bathrobe. He was sparkly. He was summoned by a bunch of kids. One thing, a couple things I can tell you about the kids is that one of them was a uh, character actor who grew up to a kid who grew up to be character actor Phil Morris, who appeared in Star Trek Three as a cadet extra. He was a Klingon a couple different times in, in I, I believe, in maybe a DS9 and maybe again in Voyager. We saw him in Voyager. He was a, uh, I think he was an astronaut from the past who Voyager oh, okay. had to rescue that. Yeah. So yeah. he's, and plus he was, uh, uh, he was the Johnny Cochran ripoff in Seinfeld, if you're a Seinfeld fan. Jack, J- Jackie such and such. I can't remember. Um, and then the other one was uh, the uh, the the Asian, uh, Asian-American child grew up to be uh, not only an extra in an episode of TNG where he was at the con, but he was also uh, one of the original uh, Ninja Turtle actors in the 1990 Ninja Turtle movie. Wow, that, weird, that I did not know. That's weird trivia that you can only get from the source. Uh, episode originally aired on 10 11 of 1968. So, filling your head up with more useless knowledge uh, and an ugly image of a dumb episode. So, moving on uh, to some <laughs> content that's a little more worthwhile, uh, we are digging into season four of Star Trek Discovery. Since the last time we were on, we have had. Uh, two episodes drop, uh, episodes two and episodes uh, three. Um, so we're just going to go through them. Um, Peter, go ahead and read that first description. Episode two, or season four, episode two. So episode two is called Anomaly. Description, Saru returns to help the Discovery uncover the mystery of an unusually destructive new force. As Burnham leads the crew, she must also find a way to help Book cope with an unimaginable loss. 
Shom, shom, shom. So this episode had the not so ignominious, uh, ignominious, ignominious, ignominious. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Honor of being the first episode of any series to have a recycled episode name, which I think is completely unnecessary. I mean, that that right off the bat, this shared uh, the title of an episode or a season uh, three uh, episode of uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, um, okay, yeah. And again, uh, I just... The Space Anomaly is the most played out stereotype in all of Star Trek. Um, so my question to you, Peter, is did this episode rise above its title? I mean, right off the bat, I'm calling this episode Recycled. This episode of our show, because yeah. this is just, this is some just recycled junk. I just don't like it. I mean, well, so break it down for me. Yeah. So, like, the only thing that makes it a little different, I think, like, I agree with you. It's it's basically just a ooh thing in space. Let's scan thing in space. That's pretty right. much all it is. <laughs> like, that's the right. entire episode. Um, you know, and, like, uh, next generation has done it better. Where it's like right more things happen, or there's a, there's a more uh, there's like a B and a C plot. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, this was all very cut and dry. Um, you had the, speaking of very dry, you had the new uh, Federation president again, Laura, Laura yeah. Laria Rillac, who of course was Rillac, Baltar's yeah. lawyer from, from BSG, which is how I, I can do. Oh, by the way, I'm sporting the um, sister vessel of the uh, USS Grand Petoskey, the Battlestar Petoskey on my t-shirt tonight. So nice. Uh, yeah. I thought she looked familiar. I did not, I could not place her. Yes, indeed. That, part that makes part sense. of part of BSG Battlestar Group forty seven. Just a little something extra Ooh. I created. I thought, and then in my head canon, uh, the Battlestar Petoskey was present at the Scorpion Shipyards when Ooh. the Battlestar Pegasus was able to escape. The Battlestar Ooh. Petoskey meant its Waterloo. But anyway, <laughs> total sidebar that has absolutely nothing to do with this. Yeah, I just uh, you know, and again, we, we get a we, we get Saru back. He's back in uniform. Yeah, like, uh, he still has a captain. Yeah, he still has a captain's rank, but takes on the XO role, which is not unprecedented. It was the yeah, same I thing. Mean, Spock did in the, it. Like, yeah, the, in the TOS films. It's yeah, definitely they're trying to do the Admiral Kirk, Captain Spock bit from right. Wrath of Khan onwards. Right. I don't know how well it's going to work. Right, exactly. Because you don't know if they're going to Kirk and Spock. The, heads, right. the, with Kirk and Spock, because of who Spock is, mm-hmm. as he repeatedly says, "Captain, I have no ego to bruise," and all that. Like, mm-hmm. there's not really going to butt heads in the same way. So I'm like, right, I'm curious and, to see what they're going to do with this. Right, and with Saru and Burnham, that's all they've ever done, uh, and now they're all they're playing nice, <laughs> yeah, like, since oh, you know, one. <laughs> I found, yeah, exactly. Like, well, you you killed our mentor. I'm like, well, I don't know how you come back from that. You know, I mean, so yeah, it's it's a little that was difficult. one thing that I actually liked in season in episode one of Discovery. Right. Yeah, was that was the was the the sort of like kind of I hate you, I but I don't back and forth between the two because it was actually like interesting banter, right? But. Then it just became, oh, now we're just going to sit here and butt heads. Like, okay. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, this does give us a little shift around. We get to visit a different star base and we get to meet some kind of throwaway characters like the guy who commands his base. It's like, well, you know, I don't really care about this guy and he died. Okay, whatever. I just, and again, 
for me. And then, you know, there, there's obviously a little bit of interplay, obviously, with Burnham and Book with their relationship. And, you yeah. know, uh, and that, that, that's actually, actually that actually that, worked fairly well. I yeah, it's one of the notable lines quoted at the bottom. Saru says to Burnham, perhaps now is the appropriate time for you to set aside captain in favor of partner. So, you know, stop being such a badass and be a good girlfriend. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's that, you know, that that strikes true of any office romance. You know what I mean? I guess sometimes yeah. you sometimes you got to hang the hat up. So. Um, yeah, I, you know, this, this one, I, I'm happy to recycle it and pass it right back over. Um, matter reclamator with it. Exactly. This did have a nice touch, which we see as a payoff in the next episode of a Sung type Android being created, uh, for the body of gray, which I think ends up working. I think it's kind of cool how they're doing. They're creating it by hologram. It's like, well, you know, I don't like the, the mole on my, on the web of my hand. They remove it. So it's just, you know, a little, little, little personal touches. Uh, I also yeah. get a, a nice call back to Phil Pajorjo's te- telescope, which is now over a thousand years old, which is in Burnham's quarters. So that's pretty yes. cool. Uh, but again, touching upon kind of what, what you had talked about. So uh, anyhow, yeah, not my favorite episode. I will call it recycled um but i was super enthused about episode three uh in particular just because of this um the title of it and uh the character uh who we originally heard speak this uh who i had the pleasure of meeting last year at c2e2 in chicago which i'll actually be going to again this weekend i'm meeting my two best friends including todd who runs our sister podcast secret secret friends unite prime uh and john who is our other college roommate we've not all hung out together in the same place in 20 years which is completely crazy but yeah it's I know it happens with college roommates. People move away and different stuff happen. But yeah, this was uh, the, the line, choose to live, is spoken by Elnor, uh, one mm-hmm. of the, the cast of the Warrior Nuns, who I keep forgetting the name of that. I the got, ja- I have, the Quatmalash. Uh, the, 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 thank you very much. Uh, which they existed in the ancient times, and they exist a thousand years after Picard. Because what happens, uh, you know, the episode uh, opens up on a Starfleet vessel uh, delivering uh, a dilithium shipment. Uh, and it's hijacked by pirates who end up being these Quatmalat Romulan warriors uh, who are attempting to, uh, you know, snag the dilithium for their own purposes. There's some back and forth. Um, the commander, uh, Commander Fickett, who's the commander of the vessel, uh, mm-hmm. who's trying to defend it. Um, she tells him choose to live as they struggle, but they keep fighting and she is then kills him in self-defense. Um, this does not suit so great. Obviously when we zip back to Federation headquarters, uh, we see president Tarina of Navarre, which is the shared, uh, formerly Vulcan homeworld, which, uh, houses the Vulcan and the Romulan people, Admiral Vance, Burnham, and of course our very favorite Federation president as well. But we do get the return of Gabriel, Burnham, uh, Captain Burnham's wife, uh, wife, bleh, mother, bleh, 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 bleh. I can speak with words, uh, who is, of course, a, uh, a Quatmalat as well. So we jump into a super cool, very Star Trek-y kind of plot line. You know, things are not as they seem uh, as uh, Tilly joined. Tilly, Tilly's going through this kind of crisis of conscience of and stuff with her career, which is kind of boring the shit out of me. I, I don't yeah, know. She's having like a midlife crisis and it's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. And she's 19 or 20 and it's just, I'm, 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 I'm kind of stretching out on Tilly right now so far. It's like, uh, I get what they're trying to do, but I yeah. don't think she's the right character to do it with. I, I agree. It's, it's great that she's not the XO anymore. It's nice to have somebody in that role that you feel like really has the chops for it with Saru. But, but again, like you said, are we going to end up simply seeing their, 
old and you know animosity come back, or will that make for a great part of the story? That's something to look forward to. But with Tilly, it's just like she's so mamby pamby, and she had some great episodes. She had some great moments, I think, last season, but so far this season, not 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 really paying off for me. But anyway, at any rate, they, they're chasing down um, Javini, who is the warrior nun who is leading this cause. Um, and they track her down to, uh, you know, kind of this alien graveyard where they find out that uh, she is actually trying to save a race from extinction by powering up the life support unit of this world with the stolen dilithium, uh, which I think is absolutely it's, it's it's super Star Trek. I like it. It's done well, um, you know, and it, it's 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 a play on the old fashioned. The ends justify the means. Um yeah, I don't know. I like this. I think this was kind of my 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 well, you know, of three episodes, my favorite of the three so far. I thought. Yeah. I have a different take. Okay, please. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 hesitating, but I don't want you to. I want you to cut loose. That's why I, we're here. I didn't like this one. Um, with your descript with your with you saying it, like, there's definitely stuff that it has going for it. Mm-hmm. Like the ends justify the means. Like I like when they bring that sort of stuff in. I'm a philosopher. Yeah. I like seeing that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of it is I don't like the co-op a lot. <laughs> no. Well, how can, no, break it down for me. Why not? Um, one is when they were first introduced, uh, they felt contrived mm-hmm. um, to me. Um partially because it's just like here's this new mysterious thing about Romulans Romulans are always mysterious but now it's like there's war there's ninja nuns okay um, yeah, it, yeah yeah because that was that was never a part of Romulan like, culture before right, they were they were warriors but it was the Klingons who were like yeah oh we're gonna fucking kill everybody ah oh, we got big knives where yeah, the Romulans are like, like Romulans, Romulans are all deceptive and sneaky the Romulans for me were always like the 1960s understanding of classical Rome. That was always how I saw the Ro- the Romulans being written. Mm-hmm. Um, and adding the co-op Malat didn't really add to that. Yeah. Um, so like that's a, I don't like the co-op Malat for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when you bring the co-op Malat in that immediately makes me go. Ugh. So part of it is just, I don't like the co-op Malat. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's um, fair. That's, that's and it's, a fair prospect. I so got like, you. I mean, and part of it also has to do with just like, so we now have a cause and so now I'm a loose cannon, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I did kind of like and kind of not like how the Federation was, you know, we're going to appease uh, Navarre. Mm-hmm. I have to remember they call it Navarre now mm-hmm. um, because... We it's don't poli- want it, it's politics. Right? Yeah. It's politics. So, yeah. so like, we're going to do this. And then she tells Burnham, like, no, you're in charge. And then you, and then like, okay, I'm in charge now. And then we bring him back. And then it's like, oh, well you can take her. We're not going to extradite her. Oh, okay. So this is, this, this whole big, like, I thought that was clever. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a strange sidestep of how star, how like Starfleet wanted to work. But at the same time, like she's not a citizen of the Federation, the Federation, and Starfleet has always been known to give up uh, foreign nationals for mm-hmm. whatever reason. So this is like something Starfleet always does. Right. Um, and I, I, I was happy though. Cause I like Admiral Vance. <laughs> so I like yeah. when, he, when he described that. Or as um, we have referred to him on this program, thanks to uh, my cohort, Rich uh, Vance of Vance refrigeration. <laughs> 
Nice. From the office, I guess. I don't know. It took took me a while to get that, but I the, but it was first, it was the ongoing ongoing uh, gaff for many episodes. The first place I saw him was in um, Blacklist, and he played a um, a Mossad agent. So whenever oh, gotcha. I see him, I'm just like, well, and he was always. It's funny. My co-host Alex, who I started the show with, called it because he was from uh, that act originally was in the Mummy. So he was yeah. uh, Ayatollah Asahola because he didn't really like him very much. So <laughs> yeah, he's, he's 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 ripe for plenty of nicknames. So yeah. uh, so anyway, all right. So first three episodes in, how are we feeling about the season? Are we going in a good direction? Um, it's got bumps. So it's, we'll see. It, it's got it's got bumps. I will agree. It's got, but maybe, maybe I just found a new name for the episode. It's got bumps. That, that's intriguing. Yeah, it, it's got bumps. It, it's it could got... get better. Um, like the one thing that I kind of hope that they kind of figure out at some point is dilithium. They keep right. using it as a fuel source, and it's not. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's not the worst thing ever, but it's just every time they do, it's like ah. <laughs> Deuterium, oh my not dilithium. Deuterium's the fuel. Dilithium's the catalyst. Oh, oh my goodness. So technical. Anyway, moving on to segment two, which Peter, Peter, are you going to sing it? Am I going to get you singing? It's been a long road. Yay! <laughs> yes, we are getting into, uh, very good. We are getting into our, our recap of Star Trek, the original series, season two, Part two of four, we're covering another six episodes uh, as we get into the sophomore season slash sophomore slump. I don't know of the original I mean, series where we're at. Yep, <laughs> yep, yeah. We're not we're not getting any of the good juicy ones. So anyway, uh, we kick off with episode seven of the season, uh, Cat's Paw, which aired on October twenty seventh of nineteen sixty seven. The Halloween episode. I'll take this one. Uh, two powerful aliens threatening the threaten the well being of the Enterprise and her crew with their magical powers. Scotty, Sulu, and Jackson, it's Yeoman Johnson. Okay, uh, from landing party go missing uh, on the planet known to be inhabited in this part of the system. Upon returning, Jackson gives Kirk a warning to leave the system right now. Kirk and Bones beam down to find the mysterious castle. Of course, a man and a woman. <coughs> Korob and Sylvia uh, meet them and find that Korob and Sylvia are not are not this system. See, we're running into this again. I They're really not from these. this system? Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. Thanks, Wikipedia or Memory Alpha. Boo! Are not from this system and have moved here with the intention of knowing more about the humans. Korob has good intentions, but Sylvia loses herself and captures Sulu Scotty Bones completely by mind control. Kirk uses his tricks of seduction. I added that part in on Sylvia and gets the truth out and destroys her most powerful uh, source, the transmuter, and frees everyone from their illusions. So Kirk can either talk a computer to death or he can talk the pants off a woman. Yes. The funny thing about this is as we've been watching season two, like I, like I've been watching how Kirk does this. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, like it's a very common belief that Kirk is a womanizer and like, that's an easy thing to see. But the thing right. that, that I think is interesting about this is as I've been watching this more and more, like you can see how Kirk could use those tools for womanizing for sure. Like he could mm-hmm. be a serial philanderer or whatever if Ph- he wanted to. Philanderos. <clears throat> yeah. But it like every time that Kirk does this, he's like doing it to just, put them off guard so he can like save the crew like that right. every time he does it and he does it like five or six times this season 
He's a yeah, like I said, if he's not if he's not talking a computer to death, he's he's talking yeah. a woman out of something by by using his his. Yeah, he's like, charm. I am charming. Let me charm you so that I can get what I want. Like you're right. holding a weapon. Let me kiss you, and and then you'll be like, oh, this is so wonderful. Now I have your face. Chop. Ah, yeah. Die. <laughs> Chop. Exactly. Uh, this episode also gave us the first appearance of uh, Walter Koenig as Chekhov. Uh, mm-hmm. was added in the second season of the show uh, because I believe Gene Rodberry had, if I remember the story correctly, had read an article in a Russian newspaper saying, oh, they got this international crew, but there's no Russian on the bridge. So they hired American actor to do a Russian accent. They also gave him an absolutely, totally Awful perfect American. Davy Jones wig, which he had for, I believe, at least this episode. Yeah, and then it he got transi- better. <laughs> yeah, he transitioned, <laughs> he transitioned into a hairstyle that looked a little bit more like the rest of the crew. But yeah, in that first episode, he was, it was, oh, yeah. it was, it was the monkeys. They wanted yeah, him to be, he's da- wearing Davy, a triple on his head. Davy Jones, oh, triple on, wearing a triple on his head. Just got a new name of the, Wearing a triple on his head. There we go. Numbers, new, new episode title. We're just going to keep rolling with this. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Peter, roll us into episode eight, if you would be so All kind. Right. Episode eight, I Mud. Captain Kirk and the crew have a second of three run-ins with the con man, Harry Mud. This time, finding him as the king of a planet of androids. Enterprise is captured by an android which takes the entire crew to an uncharted planet in the galaxy. Kirk, Spock, Bones, Uhura, Scotty, and Chekhov land with the android on the planet to find Harry King, Harry Mudd, as the king of the planet and about 200,000 androids to serve him. He reveals that the androids want to learn about humans and serve humans and demand more specimens. Harry Mudd plans to leave the entire crew of the Enterprise behind and take the starship. By unraveling the weak points of the androids, the crew of the Enterprise damaged the main control unit, Norman, reprogrammed the androids to serve their original purpose of settling the planet, gain control of the Enterprise, and leave Harry Mudd behind to live with the humorous androids. <laughs> the humorous androids. So yeah, this was this was a spin on kind of a non-serious-ish episode. Yeah, we get Harry Mudd yeah. back. Obviously, we saw him early uh, in season one with Mudd's women, uh, yeah. the women who took, you know, these you know, gelatinous pills that, pills that made them appear more attractive or whatever. Um, but yeah, th- this was all really played for laughs. You get a lot of great oh, lines yeah. in this one. Uh, I think I-, I enjoyed this one thoroughly. Um, oh, yeah. and I again, mean, Harry Mudd is just great. Right. He's just, he's just your average. Well, not, he's not average. <laughs> he's just a very strange space pirate. Right. Uh, exactly. And he's a, uh, yeah. So the, the Harry Mudd character obviously goes on to be played by uh, Ray Wilson in discovery. And then I'm going to assume subsequently strange new worlds, but this episode also gives us an Android recreation of his delightful wife. Stella. I'm gonna, Stella. Yeah. Who is, who we, we do uh, also end up seeing in discovery, uh, you know, in conjunction with oh, Harry yeah, Mudd. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was, th- this was a fun episode. I dug it. Um, but yeah, uh, go great. ahead, please. It's silly. It's silly. <laughs> it's good to have silly. Not that we get a lot of great balance. The next episode is slightly more serious, but still. Uh, episode, ep- this one. I think I did too. Episode nine is Metamorphosis, uh, which aired in November of 1967. A shuttle crew from the Enterprise encounters a castaway. And again, you got a shuttlecraft wandering through space with the top three officers on the ship and some random 
commissioner, which I guess a commission, you know, in the in Federation parlance, you have a commissioner versus an ambassador. I don't know what the difference is, but it's a real yeah. weird compliment to have the captain of the ship, the science officer slash first officer, the medical officer, this commissioner woman, and no other staff, no security, yeah. no an administrator. It doesn't make any damn sense. But anyway, uh, they encounter a castaway as they end up on a planet who appears to be Zephram Cochran, who looks absolutely nothing like he does James in First Contact, because how could he? Uh, the inventor of Warp Drive uh, and his mysterious alien companion, Kirk uh, Bones and Spock, and the disease-stricken officer. Disease-stricken officer? Uh, they're, She's I, not they're, an officer. Yeah, so you're referring to, obviously, the commissioner. She's disease-stricken. Uh, are brought down to the planet and route where they meet Zephram Cochran, who's recorded to have been dead for 150 years. Uh, Cochran explains that the companion, the mysterious energy field, keeps him alive, fit, and recently decided that he needed a companion. After investigating the challenge, investigating and challenging the alien companion, Kirk is able to identify that the companion have feelings for Cochran and finds a way to get the Enterprise get back to the Enterprise in a surprisingly romantic episode, which doesn't tell you how it ends. I, I got I to got, I find something different about these descriptions. These are terrible. Yeah, yeah but within the, episode, you know, within the episode, within the episode, the companion in, in her, inhabits the dying uh, commissioner, Nancy Hedford, who then hooks up with Cochran, and they end up staying on the planet, and it's then Kirk, Spock, and McCoy get away, but they keep their secret. So... I, I did. I did like it. Kirk had a nice soliloquy at the end about talking about surviving versus living. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I liked yeah. it very much. It was yeah. it was a good episode. It wasn't silly. Uh, and again, it's probably my favorite my favorite moments at all in TOS are when Kirk gets these great speeches. My fa- you know, some of my favorite of which uh, are in, and we'll get to it uh, in a couple of episodes from now when we get to the episode, The Omega Glory, which is one that April and I play every 4th of July. It's on our 4th of July playlist because it's mm-hmm. a riff on, uh, you know, when he results, uh, he uh, starts to recite the Constitution at the end of that episode. I just, I love it when he... We end the plebanista. Yes, exactly. For all people. Yes. No, I, I just, I do. I like I like a good riff when, when Shatner gets rolling. I think that that, that really mm-hmm. plays out. That really plays out. I mean, out, that's, so. that's one of the good things about some the original series for sure but like star trek has its moments where the captains usually some other people too but generally the captains get their moments of like i'm right. gonna stand on my soapbox and i'm gonna tell you how it is stand, they're usually yeah. really good like right totally yeah picard had many uh you my know favorites for picard is the first duty I, oh that's the first duty is one. to the truth whether it's personal truth or scientific truth or historical truth Exactly. Oh, good stuff. We'll get we'll get there eventually. But anyway, yeah, I love it. And again, yeah, the, my favorite parts of TOS is when is when Kirk really gets to do his thing, um, and he gets a little bit of that uh, talking about the Klingons in this next episode. So, Peter, go ahead. Journey to Babel. Oh no, I'm sorry. I yeah, skipped. You're over. thinking Friday's Child. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, go back. All right. All right. This this is a pivotal episode, but it's yeah, also one. Actually- it also one that offer that raises a weird question, question which I'll get to in a sec. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, Journey to Babel is the tenth episode, aired in November seventeenth, nineteen sixty-seven, written by the wonderful DC Fontana. Oh yeah. While transporting dignitaries to an important peace conference, the Enterprise is pursued by a mysterious vessel, and an assassin is discovered among the passengers. Enterprise has been instructed to carry multiple dignitaries to the planet Babel, but mysterious killings begin on the starship after a quarrel between Spock's father and another... 
and another diplomat. Kirk there we is go. also attacked by the assassin, and Spock takes charge of the Enterprise, but an ethical dilemma comes up when Spock's father is injured by the assassin and needs Spock's blood for an operation. That is that is not what happened, but okay. No. <laughs> no. Kirk and Bones make a plan that allows Spock to assist in the operation. They fight off the assassin's plan and assist the starship. I mean, loosely speaking, sure, that's what happens. Very loosely. My big problem with this episode, we're introduced to uh, to Spock's father, Sarek, uh, mm-hmm. to his, you know, his mother, Amanda. Uh, this is episode 10. In episode one, we visit Vulcan for the first time. Spock has to go through the Ponfar, the ritual challenge. Where the hell were his parents during that thing? If we, I mean, were they, were, they must have been on a trip, right? Yeah. You know what? Okay. All right. I answered my own question. He's a diplomat. He's the Federation ambassador to Vulcan. They were on a trip. Because yep. it, it, it never made sense to me at all until now. No. <clears throat> yeah, that's probably because otherwise. Yeah. For yeah, Spock, I mean, for Sarah and Amanda it, to be MIA at, at Spock's potential wedding. That's just right. Crazy. And even though, you know, Spock and, and Sarah were estranged, which is really illustrated in this episode, mm-hmm. uh, you would think you think his mother would show up. But again, you know, the way that that Ponfar happens, it's like, nope, we're doing this now. And if they were. They were on a mission together somewhere, and they were 200 you know, light years away. They're not going to make it back in time. No. Anyway, back to talking about the episode, an absolute classic of the series. Yes. Uh, we we meet uh, Tellarites for the first time. We meet which, Andor- we, Andorians for the first time, two founding mm-hmm. members of the Federation, which is awesome. Yep. The Tellarites are, like, this is where we first get a taste of how they're characterized, and their oh, characterization so does not change. Like, you yeah. go all the way to Enterprise. Yeah, the makeup gets better. Right. The makeup gets better, but the characterization, how they're just like, you know, stubborn stinkheads. Super like, in your face. The same. And so it's just like, in your face. It's yeah, so exactly. amazing. And I have seen like people role play as Tellarites. Like oh. once you get in your head how to be a Tellarite, you're right. a Tellarite. They are, are rolling. Sarek <laughs> has a line in this. And, and, and again, speaking of the Tellarite where he says, uh, the Tellarite throws down and, and Sarek says, threats are illogical. And payment is usually expensive. Oh, shit. I got to find a way to work that into a, a conversation with somebody like Sarah my ex-wife. A couple someday. couple burns in this one. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah, he does. He gives the kind of that subtle needling of the little Vulcan logic. So the, the one thing that I thought was a little strange in this episode, just from continuity later on, um, is how Spock, not Spock, <coughs> Sarek and Amanda are always walking around with their hands joined. Right. And like, it was just supposed to be a, like a, a limited way to hold hands because it was like, mm-hmm. don't touch each other. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, but then in Star Trek three, it's very clear that that's kind of like a foreplay as it were. And so for me, it's just one of those like, Okay, so are we just like holding hands or are we like humans don't know what this is? <laughs> 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 uh, it was just one of like I hadn't really thought about that. And then I was watching the episode and I saw them do that. I was like, oh wait. Oh, oh no. no. What is going are, on here? Yeah, like obviously they hadn't thought of that when the episode happened because the movie didn't come out until much later, but it was just one of those right. like, huh. So it's kind of so kind of Vulcan 
Oh, man, now you're messing with me about the name of the episode, but that's okay. Uh, we'll move on to episode 11 of the season, uh, Friday's Child, which I, I uh, proposed, uh, December uh, of 1967, again, written by D.C. Fontana. Uh, the crew of the Enterprise becomes entangled in a planet's tribal power structure uh, struggle. Upon landing and seeing a Klingon, one crew member is killed by the tribe when he acts aggressively, so that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, in an interesting turn of events, the leader of the Ten Tribes is killed, and Ma'ab, who is the young uh, up, you know, upstart who uh, challenged him, takes charge and he supports the Klingon and not the Earth people. Okay, not our not our Earth people. What the hell? Yeah, Earth man. Earth man. Uh, bad. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Eileen. Uh, come on, Eileen. Eileen. Come on, Eileen. Uh, oh, I just found a new name of the episode. Uh, along with the landing part, Eileen, uh, Eileen being the young wife of the disposed uh, now deceased leader, leader, now deceased leader, uh, uh, goes on the run with Kirk, Spock, and Bones into the mountains to escape death. Uh, but they can't contact the Enterprise, so they've got to play a little uh, cat and mouse to survive. Uh, they manage to hide out. Uh, the child is delivered um but they're able to expose the klingon's true intention uh and the klingon zaps mob and kills him but then the klingon is killed as well and the baby is now the becomes the leader of this planet <laughs> i mean it's yeah. kind of a it's kind of a cool his, riff on the other as the region yeah, yeah exactly so it's kind of a cool riff on the fact that non-federation planets you know, humanoid uh, physiology, but not not human values, not mm-hmm. not Federation Starfleet values really comes into play. You don't see a ton of it with aliens like this, but this is, I mean, this is cool. I kind of like the tribe. It's, it's very Klingon, which in some ways it seems kind of weird how the Klingons is potentially an underdeveloped aspect of, of how the characters work, how this guy isn't able to really fit in with kind of the, the tribal with concepts the of honor yeah. and the, yeah. So that seems kind of weird. Plus the plus this Klingon is is bald. He looks like somebody's accountant pal. You know what I mean? He just yeah he, he, yeah he, he does. He looks like your tennis coach painted brown. Yeah, I forget just, his name, but it's it's almost like you know I'm not Kiroth, sure. son of yeah. Bozo was sent here to like <laughs> save his family's honor because he stepped in Coors Targ's water bowl and spilled it all over the house. I don't know. Like it, Karath, Karath, like son of Bozo. New name of the yeah, episode. There you go. Good work. <laughs> like, so <laughs> That's yeah, like. I I like it. I you know I liked the episode, but overall, uh, the the Klingon the Klingon character was the piece that didn't fit. <laughs> yeah, he was like like the rest of it's pretty good. I really yeah. quite enjoyed what they did with McCoy and Elian or I've yeah her names like I how don't. he's like this is your child. It's not, not, you know, just right. the chief's child. It's your kid too. Like take right. ownership of that. Um, and then it was like, this is our child. And Kirk and Spock just like, what? And McCoy's like, what? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh man. Weird. Uh, stuff. Another okay. one of those, like, Hey, let's stick an awkward thing in here and make everyone stare at each other, which is, yeah, right. You know, sometimes have- it works in original series and other times it's like, eh, yeah, exactly. An- another trope to be played out. So, uh, all right, next one's you. The Deadly Years aired in December eighth, nineteen sixty seven, by David P. Harmon. Strong radiation exposes the command crew of the Enterprise to the effects of rapid aging. The landing party: Chekhov, Kirk, Spock, Bones, Scotty, and 
Oh, look, it doesn't even give her name. And other. And other crew member. She's not a red shirt, though. She's wearing blue. Right. Uh, divide into small teams to find the planet's inhabitants. Chekhov enters a building and screams when he sees a dead man and runs outside. He does go He does go full home alone. Agreed. Yes, he does. It, it was one of those like, oh, boy. The, it <laughs> seems like that that date the episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the landing party meets two other people who are old in appearance but young in age. Bones concludes the analysis and says the two other people have only a few days to live because their bodily functions are aging about 30 years a day. Same thing begins to happen to the landing party upon getting back to the enterprise. Scotty bone Spock, Kirk start to get old, except Chekhov. There's the, the commas. Baby, baby, baby. Too many commas. commas, too many commas. This baby. inhibits the decision-making abilities of captain Kirk and, and the Commodore aboard the Enterprise takes command of the ship. And oh, the co- the Commodore was it? Uh, was it Lionel Richie? All night long. <laughs> okay, all right, go ahead. <laughs> he take he attempt he uh, takes command of the ship and makes poor decisions, which lead the Enterprise into the neutral zone and a standoff with Romulans. Womp womp. Yeah, desk jockey takes command of the ship. Good idea. Uh, Bones manages to find a vaccine in the nick of time containing adrenaline that Spock and the members of sickbay readily test and give to Kirk, who resumes command of the Enterprise and tricks the Romulans, saving the Enterprise. He once again pulls basically the Corbomite maneuver. Oh, yes, exactly. Why get new tricks when the old tricks work so good on different people who don't know them? Um, I loved it. Uh, I, I, you know, I enjoyed this one. It was a good it was a good trick. Yeah. Uh, you get yet another one of Kirk's conquests, which is not Janice Lesser, but what was what was her name in this episode? Janice Did, Rand? No. Uh, no. No. Oh. It doesn't say her name in here, so we're in deep shit. But anyway, yet another blonde girl. Another one of Kirk's blonde girls. This one who I did I, I didn't I didn't think she was particularly pretty, but whatever. Um, but you know, Kirk, you know, in the Port and Storm. But regardless, um, I liked it. I think they really struggled with the old age makeup, but again, this was 1967. Yeah, I always find it amusing when that happens. Uh, Doctor Wallace. Ah, oh, Janet. Is it Jan- Jan- Janet? Janet Wallace. Wallace. There Janet we go. Wallace, yeah, and she was one of the ones. It was a name that was thrown out when in Star Trek Two, where we got Carol Marcus. They thought it could be Janet Wallace instead, and that was one of those in the script that went back and forth. I read. Um, but yeah, the old age makeup, it's like, oh, this doesn't look so great. But again, if you jump forward to, um, the season two episode of TNG, which, um, Katie Quinn and I are going to talk about in the new year when, when she, she, uh, shares the show with me and we're going through those episodes. Um, is it, oh my God, I can't remember the name of the episode because so much of season two of TNG was like, uh, you know, yeah, I, it was I, another I, aging episode. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the, I think the aging makeup in that was just as bad as this. And it was apart by 20 years, you know, it, so it's a little better because it's more prosthesis. Yeah. And so it's it, not like obvious as opposed to just lines. powder. Yeah, exactly. But um, like, yet yeah, still a little iffy. But I love the, you know, I, I like this, and you're right, it's kind of funny. It's like, oh, well, I can take command, and, and it's funny, the guys at the Commodore is a red shirt, which you don't see, you don't see a lot of, usually when you see uh, flag officers, they are, they are only really of command, command, they're all of command rank, so that's that's kind of yeah. different. Yeah, but, um, I, I but yeah. Commodore Stone also wore red. Uh-uh. Yeah. Commodore, oh, Commodore Stone, yes, I was thinking of Commodore Mendez from the no, Menagerie. Not, not Mendez, yeah. no. 
So, yeah, but uh, anyway, now we're really into the weeds here. But yeah, I like this episode. It was fun. The, the makeup was not fantastic. But yeah. uh, in the end of it, yeah, Scott, uh, Spock was the only one who didn't age very fast. But still, he yeah, started I, to be like, it's I, too, he's like, it's too drafty in here. Didn't he make a comment yeah, he, like that at some like, point? It's too cold. He said oh, that man. multiple times. It was pretty funny. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I did too- like how they had the whole thing of um, how they had to have the trial to take to relieve Kirk of command. Right. And where you had like Kirk was struggling to remain in command because it's one right. of those things where like that it wasn't the point of the episode, but I thought it was right. interesting how it how it shows how when you get older, you don't want to let things go. Right. You right. don't want to you don't want to admit that I can't do this anymore. Like and, and everyone's going to reach that point where it's like like the classic one is, should I drive anymore? Well, there's going to be right. a point where you probably shouldn't. You know, you're probably going to just drive into something. It's not going to be a good thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny be- because you end up seeing all of these same characters age to uh, maybe not exactly this old, but I mean, McCoy did because you saw him in Encountered Farpoint, the first episode of TNG, and he was wearing some similarly really shitty age makeup. So yeah. kind of makes you kind of makes you, and, and it looks very similar. So maybe they, maybe they really took that into account when they were designing the makeup yeah. uh, of I him would, for for this episode. Just as a sidebar, I always find it interesting in my head to just imagine what would happen if they like went back and reinserted the correct aged actors into the scene. Right. Exactly. Like, like for the one that I really think about is all good things because that's one where you could totally do it. Oh God. The cameras are, are about the same. Well, actually it's was, not the same, but you could imitate right. it better. And, well, it was and per- particularly dreadfully. Even if you look at Jonathan Frakes, like he still had the hair that he had back then. But if you look at him in season one of Picard, he doesn't have that hair. <laughs> no, he I has no, he has natural hair. You know his hair yeah, is thin. But I always like find it interesting to like yeah. compare like how the aging thought they would look and yeah. what they look like now. Yeah, like some of them are fairly close. Like Lavar Burton in that one actually is pretty close. I know this right. is like TNG, but like every right. once in a while the aging makeup gets it right. But I always right. find it interesting to think about what if they took like. This is 25 years in the future. Well, if we go 25 years from the filming of this episode and bring, and, and then you shoot do, some of those scenes you, and put them Or you in. do like a deep fake, which is so popular. You know, you see like, oh, look at this deep fake. Somebody put, you know, Brad Pitt on the face of Humphrey Bogart. I don't know. Or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, look at that, Peter. You got a pre- You're a techie guy. You got a project now. Go for it. Machine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <She> learning. <laughs> ah, I don't like it. All right. I'm going to take us home. Episode 13 is Obsession. Na, 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 na. Near, 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 near. I know. I, I, Peter, you sang with me. I'm impressed. Mostly, you know, I, that is one thing I miss about having Aaron on the show. She and I would bust loose, but sometimes it would get a little too crazy. So I'm glad you're here to rein me in because that ended up being <laughs> my job sometimes on the different shows I do. But uh, Obsession uh, dropped on December 15 of 67, uh, written by Art Wallace. Captain Kirk becomes obsessed. With destroying a murderous entity, a cloud, that killed many of the crew on his old ship, the Farragut? Am yep. I remember that correctly? Uh, 11 years prior. So when he was a young man, you know, he, <laughs> he was a lieutenant. He was a young man. Uh, after finding a mysterious cloud that quickly kills three crew members, Kirk determines to find a way to understand this thing, stop it from spreading to more planets, and to destroy it. Kirk recalls his past experience with the cloud a few years ago. Uh, on a different mission on the other side of the galaxy, uh, his obsession starts to interfere with his decision-making. Uh, as the captain imprompts a medical record from Bones and Spock, 
They or what I like to refer to as a come to Jesus talk. Uh, soon Spock and Bones realize why Kirk is obsessed with the cloud. The Enterprise begins attacking the cloud, only to realize that the can they see the cloud more and maybe potentially, uh, you know, let's at least put twice cl- could we put cloud at, at maybe every like fourth word? Cloud is not attempting to run away cloud and manages to enter the air circulation cloud system of the Enterprise. Kirk, Spock, and Cloud Bones <laughs> devise a way to finally destroy the cloud. Oh, so much cloud. <laughs> Which there was an early episode of Voyager that was called The Cloud. <laughs> so many clouds. So many clouds. I dug it. You know, it's uh, it's it's character insight into Kirk. You know, mm-hmm. he usually has his, his head on a swivel, as it were. And in this episode, he was he was kind of being, you know, he, he was kind of off the rails. You know, yeah. he was re- he was reliving this past failure that he couldn't get over. And yeah. what does Thanos say? You could not live with your own failure. Where did it bring you? Back to me, yeah. back to back to the cloud. Fun thing that uh, when I was watching this episode that I remembered, um, I know they're not terribly popular, but after Generations came out, there was a series of books ghost written by William Shatter. Oh Kirk yeah, that's surviving. right. The the, 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 a, the Kirkiverse, yes, yes, the Shatterverse, as it's yes, um, which are you know they're not the best, but they're entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the first book, Ashes of Eden. Oh, it's one of my favorites. They're God, testing I love that book. a um, a holodeck yeah. where they has to wear a suit. holodeck where he does this. He, yeah, he goes exactly. This exact scenario on the film. and his uh, and it's funny in the in the well the the illustrated version of which I still have the trade paperback. Um, his cohort. On the Farragut, who also survived, uh, ended up being the main villain of that story. Sorry, spo- spoiler yeah. alert from back in 1995. I love that story. That's a great story. Yeah, it's a good story. And again, the graphic novel is obviously a lot shorter than the um, yeah the, than, the, than the fully fleshed out novel. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know I would be happy to lend it to you just because you and I are local. Um, because it is it's out of print. I don't know where you would even find it. But yeah, no, it's a great read. Uh, that was during the DC Comics run of Star Trek, which I followed very closely. Um, and uh, drawn by Gordon Purcell, who's an artist that I actually am friends with on Facebook. I've always loved his stuff. Nice. Um, but yeah, no, super cool story. But yeah, you're right. This does this does kind of come back. Yeah, to so it's like this is a very so. pivotal part of what makes Captain Kirk Captain Kirk. Right. Like it right. comes up a lot. And so I just thought that that was interesting how even in, you know, non-canon material, uh, right. it still shows up as like, this is a pivotal moment for Captain Kirk. This exactly. is what helps him make his decisions. And so, yeah, you're right. It's a very, very cool character episode. It's the, uh, it's the, it's the, re- you know, it's the record scratch in the freeze. Like, oh, if I could just think back to where it all started, blah, 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 it'd be yeah, it's right like the, It's like tapestry for. you Right. I'm pulling out of the tapestry, the Noskin sword through the heart. Yeah. Um, all right, so that is six episodes wrapping up. So, uh, Peter, Heisen, if you were to give these six episodes a rating of one to ten, uh, Klingon daggers chucked at your head, what would you what would you give it? As, as, a, a, as a as a, a group, yes, as a micro. Let's call it a micro season. What 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 rating would you give it? Um. I would probably give it a seven, six or seven. Um, mostly, like it's got some good ones, but then there's some that are like the the bad. The bad outweighs the good. Yeah, you're. Uh, I mean, it. Well, your cat, maybe, your cat, maybe an cat's eight, paw. But cat's yeah. paw is just so awful. Yeah, that it, it really does. It really does. And metamorphosis. Yeah, I, like I, mean, I, I said, like I, it. 
I like Kirk's speech at the end, but the rest of the episode is just, it's just kind of dumb. Uh, and nothing makes it worse than these summaries that I find. So I really do no. need to tap out a different. It, if you're getting them from memory alpha, like, come on. I'm, 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 You've I'm, got good. Like, I I think what I do to just do the cut and paste is that I, I type I type in like uh, episode listing of season two too and then so I'm gonna try it just because it's easy for me to cut and paste it, um, but we're just gonna have to continue to to be you know what it keeps us on our toes that's not a that's yeah, not it a means bad that we thing. have to re-explain it which yeah. gives us something to talk about <laughs> exactly which made this episode that much longer so all right with that being said Peter if you would do the honors. For more information about Starfleet International, please visit Grand Petoskey and or Region 13 on Facebook. Oh, yes. My friends, thank you as always for joining us. Uh, I'm going to tell you as always that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Peace and long life. Code 47 is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for our great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to be part of the conversation, visit our new Discord server, or join us on Facebook, or follow us at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends on YouTube, and don't forget to visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.